All right, whew, let's just say amen. amen. All right, so this morning, I've got kind of a, uh, a bit of a review message, but not completely. I wanna tie today's message into last week's declaration that God is good, that he'll forgive you in Christ, and that if we will learn how to confess and repent, now don't get scared, if we will learn how to confess our sins and repent and turn toward God, we can experience the goodness of God. I made this passing statement last week that repentance has got a bad rap. And what, so often when we hear the word repent or repentance, you know, we go to some bad place in our mind. When listen to me, friends, repentance is unbelievably good news. Repentance is good news. Peter said it like this in, in Acts chapter three. He said that times of refreshing will come to us from the presence of the Lord if what? If we'll repent. So if we'll repent, if we'll turn from our ways that are, that are contrary to God's ways, if we'll confess our sins, we will experience spiritual refreshing and, and vitality and life from God. Doesn't that sound good? Repentance leads to the refreshing presence of God in our lives. So repentance is a great thing. I've entitled this message this morning, God's Gift of Repentance. Now, as you can see or maybe not see behind it, this is the picture that Rembrandt painted in their estimating 1667, 1668, right before he went to heaven in 1669. Uh, but this is Rembrandt's painting of the return of the prodigal son. Obviously a story that is rich with uh, truths about repentance. Now friends, listen to me. What I'm praying, what I'm hoping, is that this morning, we're gonna be able to see and hear and even feel the, the, the beauty and the power and the kindness and the richness of the reality of repentance. I, I, I want you to see in these stories we're gonna look at how unbelievably good God is to say to us, in essence, hey, if you'll just come clean, I will meet you right there and do for you not only what you can't do for yourself, but what you are ultimately hoping for. Repentance, it is a great message. It is a good news. It is God's gift to all of us. So we're gonna look this morning at two prodigal sons. Now, of course, historically, the prodigal son of Luke chapter 15, that's, that's the prodigal. I mean, like, he's it. We don't even know what his name is. It's the prodigal son. But there's another prodigal son in Scripture, and his name is King David. King David. Now, here's how we're going to do this. This is, this is challenging for me this morning, which means it's going to be challenging for you. I started looking at the most famous repentance psalm in the, uh, in the, the most famous repentance passage, I should say, in the Old Testament. It's Psalm 32. It is David's confession, repentance. It's him kind of chronicling what he experienced, 
when he was a prodigal, when he was away from God, and when he came back to God. And then it got me thinking, what's just a great story of repentance in the New Testament? Well, I thought, well, of course, it's the prodigal son. And then as I started looking at these two different prodigal stories, I realized, oh my gosh, these are interwoven almost point by point. So much so, I was blown away that after following Jesus for over 30 years, I saw it for the first time. I saw it for the first time. And I couldn't help but think, when Jesus was telling the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15, he had to be thinking about Psalm 32. He had to be remembering what David wrote in Psalm 32. So here's how we're gonna do this. We're gonna go back and forth, and I'm gonna do my best to remind you, but we're gonna go back and forth between what David experienced in Psalm 32 and the story of the prodigal son. I want you to see how they're interwoven together for the purpose of communicating that repentance is God's gift to humanity. And then if we'll learn to walk in it, we will experience the joys of repentance. And ultimately, it's what we're all looking for. All right, God help us. God speak to us. We are not just here this morning for information. God, we're here for transformation. And so, Lord, for anybody's heart that needs to be transformed this morning, I pray that it would happen. I pray they would let it. God, come and move as only you can, in Jesus' name. Amen, somebody. All right, let's start with Psalm 32. This is gonna lay a foundation for us here. Psalm 32, verse one and two. David writes and says, blessed or blessed, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Some of your translations may use the word guile. Let me read it again. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now let's unpack this and lay a foundation for us. The word blessed here or blessed in, in these two verses is an is a interesting Hebrew word or the form of a Hebrew word. Not that blessed is, is unique or strange, but the way that David writes this, he writes this in the plural form. Now I'm gonna show you what that means. He writes the word blessed in the plural form, which means this, check this out, I'm gonna teach you a new word. Blessednesses. Go, Lee, say it out loud, would you, everybody? Blessednesses. It's horrible English, but it's great theology. What he's saying is this, there are untold blessings. There are piles of blessings. There are acres of blessings. There are 
the, the riches, as you rub your hands through the treasure chest, there are the riches of treasures to the person who is being forgiven. There, there are blessedness is for the person untold, unspeakable joys when the person simply agrees with God that their, their sinful behavior is wrong and they come to him on his own terms. There are blessednesses for the man and woman who has been forgiven, who has been covered, and who has been unimputed according to their sin. Now notice something else here. The blessednesses, they aren't for the perfect. Gosh, Matthew, I love this. Blessednesses, they're not for the perfect. They're not for the law keeper. They're for the imperfect and for the law breaker. It's for the person who has blown it. We would think, oh my gosh, all these blessednesses would be for the person who never you know, makes a, 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 commits a sin or makes a mistake. But David says here, the person who experiences blessednesses is the one who's been forgiven. The one who's been covered. The one who has, who has not had God bring charge against them or has been unimputed. I love that. Well, think about this. The three words that David uses here to describe sin, and then the three words that he uses to represent God's pardon of those sins. Well, friends, listen to me. All of us, the preacher, me, all of us, we've got to weigh these words. We have to consider contemplate, marinate in these words. You're gonna see several times as we go through this passage today, the word selah is there. Selah means this, stop and think about what you just read. Consider it, don't just blast over this too fast. Selah, think, pause, ponder, and then ultimately own it as your own. Take it as your own. Now look at these words that he uses to describe sin and then the words to represent God's pardon. First of all, he says, blessed is he whose transgression, get ready for this, whose transgression. You know what transgression means? Out and out rebellion. You mean God forgives that kind of sin? Yes, he does. Rebellion. Rebellion is knowing that what you're about to do is flat wrong, but you do it anyway. You are rebelling against the will of God. God forgives rebellion and transgression. What does forgiveness mean as it's related to transgression right there? It means, Sarah, come up here for us. Put that down. Come here, come here, come here. She's taking notes and everything. Here's what this means, forgiveness, what it means? It means to lift off. It means to ease someone's burden. It means to carry away. So if you're imagining 
sinful Sarah here, if you're imagining her carrying just the, the weight of transgression, God comes and says, let me ease and remove and take away. Let me take away your rebellion. Is God that good? You better believe he is. Forgiveness of transgression is a good thing. Go sit down, I might call you back in a minute. <laughs> what about sin? So he says, he says transgression is forgiven and sin, sin just means a general offense. It's not something that, that is you know, kind of rebellious and defiant in nature. Sin, in this sense, it's, it's, it's an offense. It's you stubbing your toe and saying something you shouldn't. You're not planning on it. It's just kind of something that happens. I'm sure I'm the only one who's ever done that. But, but sins, offenses, are what? They're, they're covered. They're concealed. I want you to remember this. They're clothed. If our model was up here again, and she had sin, it would be as though God himself is coming and covering, concealing, clothing sin. Remember that for later in our story. Next, transgression, sin, the next word he uses is iniquity. Ooh, this is, this is bad. Iniquity, it is perversity. It is deliberate, wicked desire. It is pre-planned. Whereas rebellion might be something that says, yeah, I know in this instant, in this moment, it's wrong. Iniquity says, I'm going to create and respond to something that's wicked and wrong. Are you with me? This is a whole new, deeper, more depraved level of sin. Iniquity. It is planned, premeditated rebellion. It is David, after his transgression with Bathsheba, after his rebellion there, then plans to kill his, her husband. Are you telling me that God forgives rebellious transgression? That he eases and lifts the load and carries it away? Yes. Are you telling me that God forgives sins and offenses by covering and concealing and clothing? Yes. Are you telling me that God looks at our iniquity, our planned, perverse, wicked desire, and then says, I'm not charging you. I am not imputing this upon you. Are you telling me that God is that good and that kind and that confession and repentance on his terms will bring that kind of response from God? You better believe it. Some of you were raised in places where you just knew 
You just knew that God was waiting to beat you over the head every single time you sinned. You weren't sure from one day or one minute to the next whether you were gonna be saved or not. You hoped you would be. You hoped that you would be forgiven. This passage of scripture tells us clearly we can not only know it, but we can be blessed in the knowing of it. Is God that good? You better believe he is that good. Transgression, sin, and iniquity. God covers all three. I love, love, love what Charles Spurgeon said about this. He said transgression, sin, and iniquity are the three-headed dog at the gates of hell. But our glorious Lord has silenced its barkings forever against his own believing ones. The trinity of sin is overcome by the trinity of heaven. Now what's the key to this forgiveness? He said, for those who have no deceit in their spirit. Well, I knew there was a catch. <laughs> it just means this. There's this kind of forgiveness for these types of sins to those who have no deceit, no guile, no trickery. Here's a word we don't think of much. No chicanery. No manipulating. No, I think I can trick God. None of that. When there's no deceit in your spirit, it unlocks the blessednesses of God. You know the scripture is very clear about different types of, of attitudes toward our sin. The Apostle Paul addresses it, it's, it's much lengthier, but I wanted to narrow it down for time's sake just to this one passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, Paul says this. He says that godly sorrow produces repentance that leads to salvation, and you'll never regret it. But the sorrow of the world produces death. Godly sorrow. It produces repentance, it produces change, and it leads to us to being saved. You know what godly sorrow is, friends, just to make it simple? Godly sorrow is a sorrow that is rooted in the knowing that you have hurt God and hurt most likely someone else because we never sin in a vacuum. Godly sorrow is recognizing that my sinful behavior has hurt God and probably someone else. And when that godly sorrow comes in, there's no room for deceit, for, for guile, for trickery and chicanery. Godly sorrow comes in. And we're so overwhelmed by hurting God and hurting others that we then what? We confess. We repent. We turn from doing that. And it leads us to salvation. But he also says, now there's another kind of sorrow, which in reality, 
It's, it's not really even sorrow, but there's worldly sorrow. And worldly sorrow only produces one thing. It produces death. Do you know what worldly sorrow is? Worldly sorrow isn't being sorry that you hurt God or someone else. Worldly sorrow is you're sorry you got caught. Do you see how if you have an attitude of worldly sorrow, that there would be place and room there for guile and deceit and trickery? How can I get my way out of this? What can I do to try to make it not look very bad? Or Do you see? And then you start working the situation and manipulating and trying to finagle your way out of things. Mm -mm. That doesn't produce blessednesses. That produces death. And as David tried to finagle and manipulate his way out of his sin with Bathsheba by killing her husband and doing everything that he did, he realized firsthand this type of behavior, this type of deceit and guile doesn't produce blessednesses. It produces death. So there you go. So we're looking at this list and going, man, I want this kind of forgiveness from God. What's the key to it? Having no guile in your spirit. Coming to God on God's terms with godly sorrow that leads to repentance and salvation. Okay, let's move on now. Prodigal David, some more. The next few verses of Psalm 32. David said, when I kept silent, my bones grew old through, the, through my groaning all day long. Day and night your hand, oh God, was heavy upon me. My vitality, my life, my joy, it was turned into the, the drought, the shriveling, puckering drought of summer. Wow. He said, Selah. Stop right there. Don't read another verse. Think about this. When you keep silent, when I keep silent from confessing and repenting, what does it feel like? Does anybody in the room know besides me what it feels like? When I keep silent from saying, God, you're right, I agree with your word, what I did was wrong. Whether it's through neglect or just despair, I keep silent and I don't confess, and all of a sudden I start realizing my, my vitality, my passion, my life, the fountain of life within me that is God's spirit and presence, it begins to dry up and shrivel up. It's like when you look at something that had a bunch of water on it at one time. Uh, you see a bunch of dirt that had a bunch of water on it. And then all of a sudden, it gets beat down with the summer's rays of the sun. And then all of a sudden, you look, and it's just, it's puckered, lifted up on all sides. It is the, it is the drought of summer. Friends, listen to me. Unconfessed sin. It is like an internal poison that dries up the fountain of our spiritual life. This is gonna happen, friends, slowly and subtly. Let me ask you this morning. Do you have any life of Jesus in you? Are you excited about him and his kingdom? Are you glad he's coming back? Are you glad he's part of your life today? 
Are you stoked to tell other people about how good God has been to you? Or are you, thank you, brother. Or are you just kind of going through the motions, just kind of being religious, just kind of, listen, if you feel like you're drying up on the inside, you might want to ask yourself, when is the last time with godly sorrow I purposefully and intentionally got before the king of mercy and said, oh God, I confess my thought life. I confess my watch life. I confess, God, my motive life. God, I confess my speech life. God, what I said and my motives and what I watched and what I thought and what I saw, God, I confess to you that it is wrong. I hurt you, I hurt others, I've hurt myself. You see, if we're silent, our vitality turns into the shriveling drought of summer. Are you lifed up or are you dried up? Where are you today? If you're dried up, I'm telling you there's a good chance that it has been far too long before you have come before God and confessed and repented of your sins. Now let's enter into the story of the prodigal son. Here we go, here's the interweaving now. David said, when I was silent, I felt the heavy hand of God on me. My vitality has turned into drought. Things aren't going good. Man, I'm shriveling up. Now the prodigal son comes into our story. You remember he's the younger of two brothers and he comes to his wealthy father and says, give me my inheritance early. I want everything that's coming to me and I'm gonna go out and live the high life. And his father says, all right. Here's everything that you would inherit. It's all yours, take it. Go do whatever you want with it. And it says that the younger brother, the prodigal son, we don't know his, his name, that he went out and spent it on prodigal, wasteful, sinful, partying kind of living. He went for how long, we don't know, days, months, years maybe, he blew the entire inheritance on wicked, sinful living. And we pick the story up now in Luke chapter 15, verses 14 through 16. Here's what it says. But when he had spent everything, means he was dead broke, there arose a severe famine in the land, drought. It's worse than being broke. It's just awful. And he began to be in want this bro needed. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of the country and he sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. How many of you know it is not a good day when a good Jewish boy ends up with the pigs? And Jesus tells the story that, that this young man would gladly have filled his stomach 
with the carob pods that the swine ate, ate. He would have been that happy just to have those types of scraps. He was that broken. And no one gave him anything. At this point in this guy's life, he was broke, hungry, and humiliated. And at this point in his life, he is totally unrepentant. He is silent from confessing his sin. Therefore, like David experienced, the heavy hand of God was upon him. Why? To judge him? To rub his nose in his failure? No, to lead him home. God loved the boy too much to let him succeed in his wickedness. God allows him to go broke. God allows him to end up in the pig mud. God is orchestrating circumstances so that this kid, as we'll see, would come to his senses and return home. God, friends, is not in the business of judging us for judging sake. God is in the business of convicting us for redemption's sake. And so this young boy, he's silent from confession. And like David, he is experiencing a really, really tough time. Now back to Psalm 32. Prodigal David comes to his his senses after he's silent. The silence and the distance from God is killing David. And so Psalm 32, verse five, David says this, I acknowledged my sin to you. In other words, I spoke it out. I'm not being silent anymore. I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity. I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions. There's those three words for sin again. I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And what did God do? He said, God, You forgave the iniquity of my sin. You lifted it off me. You eased my burden. You carried it away. Selah, think about this. Isn't this what we all desire from God? is that we would stop being silent, that we would acknowledge our sin, and that God would then move on our behalf to be good and to relieve and to forgive us. Think about this. This is who God is. This is what God does. We must all go from groaning in our silence to owning our sin and calling it what it is. We must all go from silence to repentance and distance to nearness. That's when forgiveness happens. Back to the prodigal son. He's broken and silent the last time we saw him. We pick the story up at verse 17. But when he came to himself, oh, that we would all come to ourselves. But when he came to himself, He said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough in despair, and yet I'm perishing here with hunger? 
He said, I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. He comes to his senses and he owns his sin. He went to his father because he couldn't be satisfied with the distance anymore. And he did all of this so that he could confess face to face and make right the wrong that he had been living in. He came to his senses. He went to his father and he confessed his sin. Friends, when we do this, again, it unlocks the blessednesses of God. Back to Psalm 32. Prodigal David received forgiveness, and now he's going to encourage us to confess our own sins, and then he boasts about the blessing that comes with it. Look at this, verse 6 and 7. For this cause, what cause? The cause of confession, the cause of repentance, the cause of forgiveness and restoration. For this cause, look at this, everyone who is godly shall pray to you, God, in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters, they shall not come near him. And he says, God, you're my hiding place. You're gonna preserve me from trouble. You're gonna surround me with songs of deliverance. Selah, think about it. Think about how good God is. Think about what his intentions are towards you. Think about this. It's godly people who repent. It's godly people. It's people that care about their relationship with God. It's people who care about their relationship with other people that repent. It's godly people who say, I blew it. It is ungodly people who fold their arms in stubbornness and arrogance. It is ungodly people who say, that's not sin. That's inconvenient. It's godly people. It's for this cause that godly people pray to God and say, God, I acknowledge what I've done. And then when we do that and we meet him on his terms, then he does, 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 he does everything that he can do. And when it happens, friends, listen to me. Again, it unlocks all the greatness, all the goodness of God. Our transgressions are forgiven, our sin is covered, our iniquity is not imputed. Godly people find security for their souls by hiding in God's presence. Godly people are preserved from troubles of guilt, shame, and fear. Godly people are surrounded with songs of deliverance. Confessing and repenting unlocks blessednesses and rebukes the enemy of your soul. Back to the prodigal son, he's making his way home now. Verse 20 and 20 through 24. The prodigal son, he arose and he came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, look at this, and he had compassion on him. And the father ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. 
And the son said to him, he's no longer being silent, he's confessing and repenting. Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And then the father said, it's about time you got it, right? Oh wait, it doesn't say that. What took you so long to be home? I'm glad you finally became responsible. Oh wait, it doesn't say any of that. But the father, as if he didn't even hear what the son said, but the father said to the servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they begin to be merry. And that means with music, singing and dancing. the beautiful symbolism of this. Confession and repentance leads to forgiveness, lifting and the easing of past rebellion, the covering and clothing of sin with the best robe, unimputed, unconsidered iniquity. The father doesn't even acknowledge the confession and they begin to make merry. And just like David said, somebody started playing the song of deliverance. This is our God. This is how he treats us. If we'll just respond to him on his terms, why are we so afraid? Why are we so prideful? Why are we so arrogant? Why are we so negligent? We've got to throw it all aside and just trust the goodness of God that he will look at us even when we're far away. He'll see us with compassion. He will run to us and fall on our necks and kiss us. He will cover us and clothe us with the best robe. He will rejoice because his sons and daughters who have been distant and sinful and wayward and silent have come to their senses and have decided to come home. And when they come home, they start a worship service that's never been happening like that before. And we go back to Psalm 32. Don't clap yet. Look at what David, now there's gonna be a switch. Hold on, you're doing good. Now God begins to speak. David begins to prophesy and speak on behalf of God. Now here's what God says. God says to every one of us, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. In other words, quit going your own way. Quit doing this your own way. I'll instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. Look at this, I will guide you with my eye. Someone can only guide you with their eye when you're looking at them up close and intimately. It would be hard for me to guide someone in the last row of the balcony with my eye. How would you know whether I was telling you to go right or left? You're too far away to see how I'm trying to guide you. God says this, I'm gonna guide you with my eye. Let's get intimate, let's get close, let's get father, son, father, daughter here. Let me look you in the eye and just give you to the left or to the right or to the straight ahead. Let me do that for you. 
He said, don't be like the horse and the mule. They don't understand anything. They've got to be harnessed with a bit and a bridle, else they won't come near you. God says, don't be like that. God doesn't want to have to put the heavy hand of God upon us. God would much rather give us the loving, guiding eye of God to lead us. Some of us wait until things get so bad, until our vitality turns into the drought of summer, until we end up in the pig mud. God says, don't do that. Keep a short account with me. I'm telling you, to the best of my knowledge, I keep short accounts with God. I'm not saying I don't have blind spots or hurt people unintentionally, but stuff that I know about, I try to keep short accounts with God. I want to stay close. I want to confess my sin on a regular, daily basis. I don't want to have to have him put his hand upon me to get my attention. I would much rather just get a loving glance. Hey, Steve, come on. Come on back. Oh, yeah, that's right. Godly people repent. Godly people confess. Godly people experience blessednesses. Our last two verses. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. What is he saying to us? He's saying if we'll trust God's forgiveness for every type of sin we commit, every whether it's transgression, sin, or iniquity. If we'll trust God to forgive us for every type of sin we commit, what does he say? Mercy shall surround us. Mercy shall surround us. Deceit, guile, trickery. I want to give God my heart. I want to make it real. I want it to be genuine. I want it to be relational. And when I trust him with my failure and my brokenness, I trust that mercy comes and surrounds me. I trust that goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I don't need to hide. I don't need to be silent. Why would I hide from mercy? Why would I silence myself from forgiveness and acceptance? The most crazy person in the world in my estimation is the person who refuses to repent. Why in the world wouldn't we repent? It unlocks the blessednesses of God. We started this morning by saying this. We're teaching and preaching today not for information, but for transformation. My guess is, in this room alone, 
not to mention the chapel and everywhere else on this campus or the people that watch online. My guess is there's at least one person who today needs to say, you know what? I've been prodigal. I've been prodigal. My sin is indeed sin. I've been silent, I've made excuses, I have neglected confessing and repenting. I need mercy. I need forgiveness. And I'm not gonna go another moment without getting it. I'm gonna trust the Lord with my brokenness and failure. And I'm gonna do it today. I need forgiveness. Now. Now. I'm gonna ask every single person that's on this campus to bow your head and close your eyes. This is that moment, y'all. I'm not gonna ask you to do this this morning in a way that we might typically do this, but I would remind you that James, the brother of Jesus, said it like this. Confess your sins one to another that you might be healed. Healed, forgiven, surrounded with mercy, songs of deliverance, merriment, joy in heaven. If you're here this morning, wherever you are on this campus, you say, Steve, God spoke to me today. That's me. Right where you're at, every head bowed and every eye closed, right where you're at, I want you to raise your hand up. I'm not gonna ask you to, to, to tell us your junk. I don't wanna know your junk. But right where you're at, Steve, that's me. I need to get it right. Yeah, good, 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 great. Repentance, it's God's gift. Get you some. All right, here's what we're gonna do. Go ahead and put your hands down. I'm gonna pray for people all over the floor and up in the balcony. I'm gonna pray for people. Father, in the name of Jesus, we wanna thank you for your word. We wanna thank you that it gives us life. It gives us hope. It gives us healing. Lord, thank you that you are so good to us. That in the midst of our transgression, sin, and iniquity, you are calling us home. You are wanting to forgive and to cover and to not charge us. Thank you, Lord for every single person, oh God, that raised their hand. Lord, may you touch them with such unbelievable grace this morning that they would know that they know that they know that they would own your forgiveness, that they would leave this campus with the assurance that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness.
Lord, for every friend that raised their hand, I pray that today would be a new day for them, that there would be a return of life, that it would replace drought, that blessednesses would overtake lifelessness. God, bless your people. And may we all live, may we all live with confession and repentance as a very quick and prominent part of our lives. We love you today, Lord God. Thank you for being good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We commit our hearts to you, Lord, in the wonderful name of Jesus. And God's receiving grateful people said, Amen. Amen. Let me try that again. God's grateful receiving people said, Amen. 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 They threw a party because someone came to their senses. We should at least be able to give a shout and a clap for every single person. God bless them. God bless them. We love y'all. We will see you soon. God bless and keep you. Amen and amen.